Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. We are glad to be back with you all. Um, we're going to talk about Scotland next week, but for those of you that did not know, we um, were part of our mission trip to Scotland. Our whole family went, and it was glorious. We had such a good time. Um, but we're glad to be back with our family. You guys are a wonderful family, so we're glad to see you. Um, we're going to um, gather today around... Psalm 28, um, it's part of the lectionary. I believe it's going to be up on the screen if you will follow along. We're not, you're not reading it out loud with me. I know sometimes that's confusing. I'm going to read it to you. So if you're visual, maybe go ahead and read along with me. If you are auditory and you um, things can seep into you better by listening, feel free to close your eyes. Um, let's all just take a deep breath. For those of you that know me, know that I love deep breaths. I think it's a good idea to do that before we um, press into the Lord's presence. Um, just reminds us that with every breath, we are held by him, right? And we can often breathe in his breath and just breathe out the frustration um, with our breath, not only physically, but spiritually we can detox. So, all right, so Psalm 128 Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Will you stand with me? So, Lord, we receive your blessing this morning. And there is no other blessing as sweet as your blessing. 
And so, Lord, in with your words, with your heart, I bless everyone here. I bless the community of believers. I bless the individuals who represent different talents and gifts and personalities and backgrounds. We bless each and every person here as the beloved creation, daughters and sons. And God, I pray during this worship gathering, as we gather together to lift you up, that again, the truth of our belovedness would burrow deeper into our souls, that we would leave more fully thriving in our identity as your children. So we thank you for this space. It is an honor and a privilege to gather together in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you know this, but if you're newer, we've been going through the book of Mark and preaching through it. And we're going to preach through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so last week, Jordan, I think, did a really, really great job from what I heard about being filled. And so this week, we're going to step into the eighth chapter and we're going to jump right in. Okay, so I'm going to read to you first verses 8, 1 through 21. You can open in your Bible if you have one on you, and I recommend that. Or you can follow along with me. I'm going to read from the ESV, which is Jesus's translation. So there's no bias to it. All right, so everyone, kind of gather yourself. When we read this, try and be fully present, as impossible as that is. Try and be fully present, which means maybe you have to just go ahead and make a shift in your mind from where you are to, I'm here. (sighs) Okay? Starting in verse 1. In those days when a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in a desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they said, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, just really quickly. The first time this story happened, similarly, two chapters ago, there were about 4,000 men. 5,000 men. In this passage, I love the transition as they've grown to seeing Less about the men and more about the people. Isn't that interesting? The people. I think that's important. About 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Then immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, talking of the disciples. 
and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaving of the Pharisees and the leaving of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves and the five thousand for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And seven for the four thousand. How many baskets of full and broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not understand? Now, this passage seems familiar to you because it's basically the same story that happened two chapters ago with some variations. That's a big deal. So much so that there's a people in a desolate place needing to eat, and then after it's over, they get into a boat and travel somewhere else. The same thing, right? So that's, for the writer of this, this gospel to put this kind of story in twice, there's something being said here. The content in this passage is important. The content about what's happening is important. And later, you'll hear me talk a little bit more about it. And one of the questions asked in, in Mark 8, 17 is, are your hearts hardened? Question to them, are your hearts hardened? Are your hearts hardened? And if we read in Proverbs 4, 23, and you can pull this up, Bill, we see kind of a big truth. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So right at the center of Christianity is Jesus and the space that he needs to occupy in us, which is our heart. And the realities of these two passages is pointing us to look at, where is my heart? Where were their hearts? And Jesus looking at all of them and saying, you better check your heart. Because from it flows all of life. So this is mentioned twice with some variations. I mean, the variations are, he spoke to this group for three days. To the first group, not so long. He asked the question first here. In the other passage, his disciples asked the question first. He here gets into the boat seemingly not in fear, and the other one, he had to leave quickly because they were about to make him the bread king, right? You remember talking about the bread king? The king that would make the bread. There's the same thing happening here. This guy could be valuable. I mean, in desolate places, what would not be more valuable than someone who could come and make food, right? Like, that's the food bread king, our glorious bread king. And we learned two passages ago that he doesn't desire to be the bread king. He desires to be the bread of life. He desires to be the destination, not to give you something along the way to your destination, but to become the end. That's the message of Jesus. In me, you have your end. I am the sustainer of all life. In every desert place throughout Scripture, the question that's always being asked is, who can provide food in the wilderness? And the question is always being answered with, Jesus the Messiah can. Jesus the Messiah can. In desolation, he creates something out of nothing, or ex nihilo, which means creating something out of nothing. So, as we start, I want to pray for you, and I want you to pray. So if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes. Jesus, we just want awareness of where our hearts are. So in your own way, in your own mind, where is your heart? 
Some of you don't even want to look at it right now. That's okay. Jesus has grace for that. Some of you are like this first group listening for three days and like your heart is so thirsty for the word of Jesus and this guy is something about him. Some of you are like the disciples and you've been with Jesus for a long time. It's just maybe he's become mundane. Jesus does great things. Yeah, I think he's great. I'm going to church. But, but man, where's my next meal coming from? And some of you might relate to the Pharisees in which they demand that faith be removed and that he gives them what they want. In all these scenarios, I believe in the New Testament church, we can cast our cares upon Jesus and throw ourselves at his feet, and he is more than willing to receive us and sustain us. You can open your eyes. Verse 1 through 3, I'm going to read this again to you. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come from far away. So what's being said here? In these first six verses, he's trying to show us who God is. He's trying to show us that anybody who is going to be with him, be in his presence, he's going to provide for them. And the people around Jesus aren't interested in that. They're interested in pointing out literal facts, like this is a desolate place. And in this version, it's not actually like, Jesus can't do this, because they just did this, right? Like, they just did this, so they've seen Jesus do all kinds of crazy stuff now. Another interesting thing I have to share with you. Why is a crowd there to begin with? Why is a crowd in Decapolis? The last time I talked about Decapolis, it was Jesus getting out of a boat and running into a man with 3,000 or 2,000 demons and then sending them into pigs the first time Jesus has been on this place and then a whole bunch of people from Decapolis coming around him and saying, you got to go. And him getting back in the boat and leaving the man with the demoniac, the man with legion there, like confusing passage where Jesus leaves a man and says, you stay here. And now in the same place that he couldn't be, there's a crowd of 4,000 people. So maybe this is just a side note of, of, of the reality of when Jesus does something in someone's life and sends them somewhere, the kind of impact it can have. Here's a literal, I think, impact. And I know last week God did some things through Jesus that Jordan preached about. But I, I just want to believe, and I believe that this guy's walking around to Capitalist like, I know you guys know me as the guy that was filled with all the demons and I was chained to things and cutting myself. And um, I was crazy. I was naked for part of that. But now, I just got to talk to you about this guy, Jesus. Like, I am in my right mind and I am, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And he's walking around talking about Jesus, not sharing anything about theology because his theology is just, this guy showed up in a boat and I am now able to understand and I don't want to hurt all of you. And so... This story before, last week, maybe kind of scratch and sniffed the situation, and then Jesus returns, and this is the guy the demoniac was talking about. So 4,000 people show up. So Jesus' first seed to Decapolis was the demoniac, and now that seed has taken root, and now there are 4,000 people there, and they sit and listen for three days. Guys, I'm about to preach for not three days. If I were to tell you guys, I'm wrapping up in a little bit, we'll be done. You guys are going to be heading home Wednesday morning-ish. <laughs> done. Over. They're so captivated by Jesus. They've tasted and seen. They've saw the demoniac. They've now seen him for themselves. And something about him is so good 
And his response to that is, you've just sacrificed to be in this desolate place with me. You're with me. And I notice that you're going to need some things on the way home. And maybe they're not miraculous things. Maybe it's just things like your, your stomachs need to be filled. And I want you to know that I have compassion on that. Because you have chosen to be with me, I'm going to give that to you. And then his disciples are like, from where? And he again has to point back to the previous story. And he provides. And it looks like maybe it's less than last time. Because last time there were 12 baskets and now there's 7 baskets. It's two different kinds of baskets. One of the baskets, the first one was used in the Jewish culture. And this basket is used in the Gentile culture. And the first basket was maybe yay big. And this basket is like this. So there are seven of those left over. So he's saying, I have compassion on you when you're with me. And not only that, I'm going to be providing for you. All right? So you're going to be on your way home and some of you are going to be starving. I'm going to take care of you. Right? That's a big deal. But how? This is a desolate place. We don't have much. Listen, ex nihilo, out of nothing. One of the best things about God is it doesn't have to make sense in our brains. If any, either one of these stories makes practical sense to you, you're lying to me. Because it doesn't add up. But what he's trying to show us is he's the God that can create something out of nothing. Just like he did in Genesis 1. Just like us. So, let this be just a reminder to encourage you. If you're in a situation in your life now that is desolation and it's easy for you to point to what he can't do because this is the reality, be reminded that he is the compassionate provider that creates something out of nothing for those who are with him. That is enough. Right? That is enough. Because he isn't the bread king. He's the bread of life. He is the destination. He's the great I am on display, and he uses this story to show us, here's parts of me that you're going to need to see, disciples. You're going to need to see that I'm compassionate for people that need me. You're going to need to see that I provide differently, and you're going to need to see that it doesn't matter if that's what you have. And they're looking at what will not sustain this community. It's actually true that what they have cannot help the situation. Barclay, who is one of my three or four sources, maybe you like him, maybe you don't. I enjoy him. It stirs me. And sometimes there's some nuggets that I just think are beautiful. Speaking of this passage, he talks about this. One of the most joyous of all Jewish feasts is the Feast of Purim. It falls on the 14th of March and commemorates the deliverance of which the book of Esther tells. Above all, it is a time of giving gifts. And one of its regulations is that no matter how poor a man is, he must seek out someone poorer than himself and give him a gift. Jesus has no time for the spirit which waits until the circumstances are perfect before it thinks of helping. Jesus says, if you see someone in trouble, help him with what you have. You never know what you may or he may do with it. That's some stuff. I just don't have a lot right now, right? Like, I just got this. Like, I, let's not talk about, like, all of the cable we buy. Like, my $4,000 in cable is a necessity in Jesus' name. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about there's someone rich or someone poor. It's not whether or not you have enough money. It's if, if your heart's in the right spot. That's always the question. I don't have enough. The woman with two mites had enough. And so here, he's using that to point to the disciples' questions. There's literally not enough, Jesus. And he says to them, what do you have? You can use that. 
And when you do that, he gets to add his ex nihilo God juice to it and form it to feed 4,000 people. So he's trying to get in us a challenge here. The kind of compassion I'm trying to show you is the kind I want to come from your heart. There's no more excuses. And I think it's interesting because he's the bread of life. Now, moving on really quickly, I want to read you 11 through 13. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into his boat and went to the other side. First of all, you just need to know the Pharisees are like the form-fitted opposite to hinder the message and and the mission of Jesus. The Pharisees are the form-fitted opposite. They're not the evil other. They're not who we point at. They're the bad. They're not the terrorists. They represent the, the part of the church that is supposed to be speaking for the people. They also represent the exact way to hinder the mission of Jesus. And they look to him and say, he goes across the, give us a sign. Notice he's not saying give, give us a miracle, which is a different thing. We learned in Mark chapter 3 that the reason they believe he can do miracles is because he's possessed by Beelzebub. So they don't ask for a miracle, they ask for a sign. A sign is something different. A sign is something in the future. A sign affirms something that's coming. And a sign typically removes the need for faith. So they're saying to him, we would like a sign. Maybe they're trying to trap him. But more than that, they would like to be affirmed in a couple things specifically, that our nation would destroy Rome and that you would help us to become what we're trying to become. And their interaction with him is only for what they're about to get out of him. And so he says to them, you will receive no sign because you're blind to all the signs that I've already given you. And all of these signs are only leading to me, but I'm not enough. You're trying to attach me to your thirst and your hungers, and I'm not here for that. You're getting no sign from me. I'm going to read you again from Barclay, who evidently is preaching this message today. (laughs) It was a sign like that that the Pharisees were demanding. They wished to see something shattering, an event blazing across the horizon, defying the laws of nature and astonishing men. To Jesus, such a demand was not due to a desire to see the hand of God. It was due to the fact that they were blind to his hand. To Jesus, the whole world was full of signs, the corn in the field, the leaven in the loaf, the scarlet anemones on, on the hillside, all spoke of God. He did not think that God had to break in from the outside world. He knew that God was already in the world. For anyone who had eyes to see, the sign of a truly religious man is not that he comes to church to find God, but that he finds God everywhere. Not that he makes a great deal of sacred places, but that he sanctifies common places. And this, this is a really great poem that struck me and then I find out it's Sarah's favorite poem after so I thought that's that's cool earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God but only he who sees takes off his shoes the rest sit around and pluck blackberries that's good stuff too that's Barclay guys I think it's interesting I think it's a lot like us if you really break it down when we pray Our prayers are really spots and spaces to create a space for us to be with him. And how often our prayers are things that he needs to do so that we will believe in him. And he's saying to the Pharisees, I'm not giving you a sign if you're demanding it for me to believe, for you to believe in me. You've already chosen that that's not important. They just watched 4,000 people receive food. 
They know that that happened, and then 5,000 before, and then Legion, and then these other people being healed. They have already chosen in their hearts, I'm not all in with this guy, but I have a desire, and if you can come alongside my desire, we're good. Give us a sign. I will not give a sign to this wicked generation. That's what he says. And then he turns it to his disciples. And in the boat, they notice they only have one loaf. And he's pretty hardcore with them. And he starts to interact with them, and he challenges them. Why are you focused on bread? Why are you focused on bread right now? Let's not even talk about the other passage where there was 12 leftovers in your boat. Let's not talk about literally I can throw a rock to where I just fed 4,000 people. Why are you worried about your one loaf of bread? And after saying this, they continue to talk about their one loaf of bread. Jesus is in the boat, like interacting with them. And they're like, Jesus, you're saying some good stuff, but I'm... We only have one loaf. So they listen to him say that, and then they're back on their thing. This is all I got. This is all I got. They want him to be mad, too, that this is all they got. This is all I got. Look at what I got. I, I have a right to be upset right now. And he's like, you can quit your whining. Did I not prove to you that I was Jehovah? Did I not prove to you that I would be with you? This is on you if you're going to make it that I can't provide for you. So get your eyes off the bread, which they didn't. And then he says some hard things like, are your hearts hardened? Are your hearts hardened? Because this is the truth about Christianity and us. That the longer we're with Jesus, the more chance we have to think that he is common. The more chance that we have to think that he isn't really that big of a deal. So when I go through my desolate place, which is coming to all of us, I'll put my eyes on my desolate place and be like, I don't know that you see this, Jesus. Are you kidding me? You said you were a provider. Yeah. But, but Josh, listen. Do you not remember when you were addicted to drugs and probably going to die how I saved you from that? Um, do you see the, that I don't even have what I need for this situation, Josh? Do you not remember that when, when you didn't even have a, a high school education and you flunked out of high school that I somehow took you to college and then gave you a master's and you should be master of nothing? Like, if anybody really knew you, they would be like, this is, just doesn't work. You don't remember that? No. But how am I going to get through this? Like, what? This? Like, how am I going to get through this? And he's like, you got to do this. Like, oh, be in the boat with me. All right, daddy, I'll be in the boat with you. This doesn't make sense to me. doesn't have to. I'm the destination. I'm the destination, not your seven loaves of bread. I'm the destination, not me, him. He's the destination. So he asked them this question about their heart because the heart is where all of life flows from. Where is your heart? Has it hardened? And he talks about the leaving of the Pharisees and of Herod who should not be connected. The leaving of the Pharisees and of Herod. Leaving, what is it? I'm going to try and explain this. Then you're going to realize that I don't have a high school education. <laughs> leaving is not when you'd want to go somewhere else. That was my first curveball. I was like, okay, I understand. So historically, when they would make their bread, they would pinch off a corner and take that out, and then the following week, they would place that in, and over that time, it would ferment, and when they placed it in the bread, because of the week-long sitting around, it could contain poison, and the poison could, in the new loaf, shoot through all of it and ruin the whole bread, and he says... Your hearts are dangerously close to what's happening. It's like the leaving of Herod and the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisee story is pretty simple. We know what they are. 
We know that they are self-righteous. We know that they think they are better than everyone. They're super spiritual. They are the ones that's showing off what they do. But Herod's not like that. Herod's very different. Herod's a super evil, wicked guy. Super evil. So this leaven is talking about sin, which we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about sin because our hearts get hardened. And when we have to talk about sin, we've got to get really honest. And then it starts to feel really churchy. And then we're like, this is why I left church before. But here's the deal. Like, it is like the leaven. When we allow these things in, whether it's pride or this desire that I can do it better than Jesus, it doesn't just stay one little corner of bread. It works its way through the whole loaf. So he's saying to them, beware in your hearts. There is leaven. Right? And so for them, what do they have to do? It doesn't even say it here. We're going to get to that next week. They have to be with him. The cure for this that none of the others have and that the Pharisees don't have is constant connection to Jesus. Constant connection to Jesus. That is what he's trying to talk about here. These two stories that reveal two truths about one heart, our heart, is that he is the destination. And that you don't need to worry about making sure you rip out all the leaving. You need to be in the boat with him. He'll handle that. He'll handle that. But the moment you say to him, I need you for this and not for this, is the moment he says, this is an evil thing. This is an evil generation. I came to be the Emmanuel king for the world. You want this without me. I'm the only way it works. And then he offers himself to all of us. Lovingly, kindly, gives us everything. And he doesn't want your heart dull. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest, American church. Many of our hearts are dull. And all of us can throw stones at anyone. Really, we should just be doing this. Because our hearts are dull. But he doesn't want us to feel awful and walk around pouting. Our hearts are dull. Stupid heart. I hate my heart. He just wants us to be like, all right, what do you, what do you need? What do you want? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you when it doesn't make sense. I'm with you when I got one loaf. I'm with you when we got 4,000 loaves. I'm with you when you're walking into a kingdom. I'm with you when you're walking out of a kingdom. I'm with you when people are throwing rocks at you. I'm with you when people are throwing rocks at me. I'm with you when they're celebrating us. And we're like, why are they celebrating us? And then you're like, don't celebrate us. And we're like, I'm with you when that happens. I'm with you when we can't sing. I'm with you when I have no money in my bank. I'm with you when sickness starts to spread. I'm with you when my friend leaves the Lord. I'm with you when I don't see how this is ending. I'm with you. He wants your heart dependent on him. These passages are about a heart that would depend on him because life flows from that. That's really a great thing. And so, close your eyes really quickly. Jesus, we don't even know how to examine our hearts. But as we sit here today, your family created in Christ Jesus to be the family of God, the bride of Christ, the beloved gift to the world, to love the world selflessly, we ask that you would help us to see you and help us to put our faith in you in desolate places, in prideful places, in angry places. 
I'm going to pray some pretty powerful, sharp prayers for you. If you happen to be like the Pharisees today and you are demanding that he do something before you get something, it's truly a space of saying, I'm sorry, Father. I want to follow you. It would literally look like a Pharisee taking off his Pharisee clothes on that side of the lake and getting in the boat with them. That's what it would look like. If you are a person in a desolate place that looks like nothing can happen in your life good, and all you are looking at is here's the bad, here's the awful, hear Jesus saying to you, turn your eyes upon me. I am your provider. I have compassion. I am for you. I can create something out of nothing. I'm trying to work on your trust and your faith. The disciples needed these boat rides for what would come. You need your boat ride for what will come. So Jesus, instead of us getting out of the boat and swimming to shore to join Pharisee community, help us to throw ourselves upon you and say, you can ride this boat wherever you want. I'm in. I'm in. So Father, I just thank you and I pray that you would go with us, go before us, and that you would guide us and that you would give us your peace and your grace. And God, especially this week for River City, that you would give us favor in these discussions and continue to provide miracles. But we don't want to put our eyes on the miracle. We want it on you. Do what you will. We're in the boat. In Jesus' name we pray. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.